You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Shannon Stewart, welcome to Real Faith Stories. I think some minds are going to be blown today. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. We were just talking before I hit record about your experience as a child and how you were raised and how you had the sense of kind of knowing and hearing God's voice. Let's chat about that a little bit. Then we'll move into the work that you're doing now and then talk about a story that is just utterly incredible about your father. So please uh, share a bit about yourself, Shannon. Thanks. Perfect. Well, I did not grow up in what we call a traditional Christian home. We didn't go to church even on Christmas or Easter. My parents believed in God, but they were not, they didn't participate in a formal denomination. Mm-hmm. They were both raised to be Baptist. And so my my understanding of church was when I was about a third grade or fourth grade, my grandparents taking me to Sunday school. And that was the extent. Now, I always joke that my mother, she knew how to tell me to go get a switch off the tree and she put the fear of God (laughs) into me. But that was about the extent of it. And it wasn't until later on in life after I had um, actually become a pastor in the American Baptist denomination that my both of my parents accepted Christ and were baptized and started their faith journey from that standpoint. But when I was growing up, I just knew the Lord. And I and but wasn't as if I had a conversion moment where the where I knew I or I received faith. I just kind of from a very early age. It's funny, like if I hear something and and I know it's the voice of God, how I can distinguish. And I just always kind of heard the voice of God, where I would have a dream and then it would come to pass, or I would just. I always used to sing a song that I later learned was a hymn called "In the Garden." And I would always just be playing outside. I was an only child um, at the time. And I would be playing outside. I'd be just singing this hymn. He walks with me and he talks with me because the Lord would talk to me. Mm. We would have conversation. And my mother would be like, you're talking to an imaginary friend. Or, or we don't tell people that we have dreams then, and they come to pass because people would think that that's not Christianity because she was raised a Baptist from that standpoint. But the Lord has always communicated with me. And I think that oftentimes as children, we have that connection to Holy Spirit. And sometimes we adults, we kind of stamp that down and say, oh, we don't talk. We don't, that's not appropriate or or what Mm -hmm. have you. But I honestly believe that everyone can hear the voice of God. That's an amazing statement, Shannon, because when you say that, I would bet most people listening to this are like, yeah, but kind of, you know, it's like, it's like I'm underwater. It's like someone's yelling at me underwater. I can kind of make the words out, but not real clearly. What do you say to people that are like, gosh, it's frustrating to hear the voice of God? How do people overcome that? You know, it's funny that you said like it's underwater. My my dad and I were talking um, one time and my dad was my best friend. He would say to me, you know, those old fashioned radios that were like a huge, uh, a huge radio that would sit in your living room in the 40s and 50s and it had a big dial and yeah. you would hear, you'd have to like put, tune it in to get the right channel. He would say to me, when I'm listening for God, I hear all the static. 
how do I make the static go away? And one of the things that I have to consciously do is actually create time to hear. So first of all, backstory, I'm a workaholic. But when we talk about the Martha and Mary kind of paradigm, like I have to remember to actually stop and, and stop being a doer. So I have cultivated a, a lifestyle of listening, of having that quiet time when it might just be me having a cup of tea out on my front porch. It's not reading my devotional. It's not reading my Bible. It's just sitting and listening. And I always start, and I also do prophetic journaling where I write, like I just open up my journal and I'll say, Father God, what do you have for me today? What mystery do you have for me today? And I just would start to listen. I love it. So I think it's about getting really quiet. And here's the thing though. And I was praying about this this morning as I was preparing for our call today. And I, and the Lord was, was just kind of saying, you know, as we get more into the practice of listening and we surround ourselves with people who listen, that we create an atmosphere. So it's the Holy Spirit by communing and listening, it creates an atmosphere. And if we are around people or we're listening to people on a podcast or a television program or, or maybe within our church community that are prophetic or understand how to cultivate an atmosphere of listening, it's contagious. I feel like it, the atmosphere spreads. Yeah. So I think it's about cultivating a lifestyle of listening. I was on vacation last week for the first time in many years, and I did absolutely nothing. No social media, no email, no television, no news. When I like broke away from this earthly noise, I was amazed at how my how in tune my listening skills of hearing Holy Spirit were. Give me an example. I was sitting by a pool first time in 27 years that we actually closed my whole business for a week to give everyone a break. I usually have text messages, Slack, you know, email, pinging <laughs> my cell phone. Yeah. And I, I had my children with me and I just turned off my phone. And I just sat there with my my journal, with my remarkable on my lap. And I just was like, Father, what do you have to say to me today? And I just sat there. I literally, for four days straight, looking out at a beautiful pool, was very quiet. I just listened to what Holy Spirit had for me and, and had for other people. Because the Lord will speak to you about the people that are in your life and give you insight so that you can minister or share with them as well. But it just got so quiet that I was just, I call them downloads. I was getting downloads and downloads and downloads. I'm working on writing my life story, my origin story. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord was really showing me like, why are you a workaholic, Shannon? And then he just kind of opened up. It's taken me 47 years to understand why I work the way that I do. And he just was like, okay, this is a part of your life. Here's why you're this way because of this trauma. And I'm just going to heal this now. And he just started to work through all of these layers. And that's the great thing is when we get quiet, now there's vulnerability in that. Totally. Because sometimes we do things so that we don't have to face what the Lord really has to say to us. Yes. Because it's one thing to say, Lord, to pray about something and say, in our earthly mind, this is how I think it should be fixed. And Father God say, you know what? This is a heart issue mm -hmm. that we need to repair or we need to, we need to work on. In your earthly mind, it's not how it's going to be fixed. It's going to be fixed in the spiritual realm. 
and it starts with your heart. And so that's what my my vacation was just really a time of just connecting with Father so that I can move forward, not only in my faith journey, but what he has for me next in, in my in my walk here. How fulfilling. I have similar experience with respect to journaling. I look forward to the time I have to just sit before the Lord and journal. I don't journal every day, but most days. But when I do, it's it's a download, like you said, most mm-hmm. times. And I have just recently, and this may speak to somebody, started reviewing my journals. I have years of journals. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, gosh, dude, why are you even writing in them if you're not going to review them? <laughs> and okay. I, I started doing it. And then I recognized how the Lord has been so clearly speaking things to me through those entries that I didn't recognize at the time. And so I just want to encourage anybody who journals to actually read what you've written. What a concept, huh? <laughs> Definitely. And I know I always write down my dreams. I'm really, I love to write down my dreams because I feel like the Lord talks to us even today through dreams and looking back over those dreams, how they come to pass. I think it's it's so important to reflect because that's what helps us grow. Well, you had an experience, and I don't know how many years ago it was, with your father. Please explain what happened. Well, I have to give you a little bit of backstory. So I I was a pastor for a number of years um, in the American Baptist um, denomination. And because of some circumstances, I left being a pastor. I didn't fit the mold any longer. And so the elders of the church felt it was just best that I was an associate. I'm not a lead pastor anymore. And we tried that for a little while. But after leaving pastoring in a formal capacity, I went to a conference with Randy Clark. And Randy Clark was also a former American Baptist pastor. So we kind of came out of the same realm and same time period as pastoring for the American Baptist. Mm -hmm. I needed to heal. So I went to a conference that he was having in Pennsylvania. And there was a gentleman there by the name of Mahesh Shabada. But he has a ministry in Georgia. But he talked about raising the dead. I remember his comment. He said, I prayed over 3,000, but I've only seen 311 raised. And I was like, only, 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 (laughs) but here's the cool thing. He had faith to raise those 3000. So I sat there and I was like, well, first of all, I came out of a a Baptist background where what got me kicked out of church was raising my hand, speaking in tongues in the prophetic. And so I'm listening to a man talk about raising the dead. And I thought, oh, that's really great. That doesn't happen here. He talked about the step-by-step story of how several people had been raised from the dead. And I thought, well, I'll just file that in the back of my mind. You know, follow, I hear it. Great story. Helps build my faith. And that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. And that was probably 2005. You know, we kind of flash forward into 2014. My dad was living um, in a little island um, off the coast of China called Hainan, and he had been living there for a number of years with his wife, and it was like their retirement home. And I talked to my dad every night on Skype at 7 p.m., and I had had a dream in September, October of 2014, and in the dream, my dad told me before I saw him again, he would be dead. And so that dream happened three times, and that's kind of my indication that something's going to come to pass. And so on a call one day, I said to him, I had a dream. And he looked at me. He said, I'll be dead before my 65th birthday. And he was turning 65 in November. And I was like, um, not on my watch. Like, what is going on? And, and he had been exposed to Agent Orange. And he was in, he had heart failure. 
And I was like, this is not happening. And the Lord said to me, you need to go to China. You need to be on that island um, because your dad is going to die and you need to be there. But the Lord also said to me, one of one of you may not come back. Wow. And it made me feel like it was me. Mm. So I got my affairs in order. I'm a single mom. Now my children are you know, older. They're 22 and 18. One of my children is autistic. So I got everything in order from that standpoint, my trust. And all my accounts, and I left detailed instructions with those that would be caring for my children while I was gone. I was only going for a week. Mm-hmm. But in my heart, I didn't think I was coming back, Man, honestly. And so I got on a plane, and what turned out to be a, a week but turned into 40 days. I got to, to China, to the island, and I took one look at my father, and there was a spirit of death upon him. I saw it. And so one day on December December 5th, my dad and I had gone to the doctor. They had given him a clean bill of health. I was cutting up a, a pineapple for breakfast. It was at our kitchen table. And he said, I don't feel so good. I feel really dizzy. And I turned around to look at him. And in that moment, his eyes rolled in the back of his head and his face hit the table. It was a, a marble table. It actually knocked out his front teeth. And when I ran over and I picked him up, I heard, so if you've ever been around someone who's passed away, there's like, you hear the, the life leave their body. You hear a breath leave their body. I picked him up and the breath left his body and I felt for a pulse and there was no pulse. He was gone. And so I began CPR immediately. About 20 minutes into that, though, I realized like I'm in, well, first of all, I didn't really tell the officials I was in China. I, I came on on a visa, but I didn't notify the local officials, which is like a big no-no in China. Um, I realized I was in China. My Mandarin is good enough to get me where I need to be, but I'm on an island that has a different dialect. I don't speak the dialect. I don't know anyone on the island. My cell phone doesn't work here. I don't know how to use this Chinese cell phone. Wow. Like I was in trouble. 20 minutes into it, I was like, I can't keep going. So if you've ever done CPR, like you, like it's a very physical type of thing. And after about 20 minutes, I was exhausted and I made the determination I had to find help. And so I ran through our building. So we have, we're like in an apartment building our condo and I just started banging on all the doors. But the problem is this is a vacation place. This is where people go to vacation. They don't necessarily live there. And finally, I got to a gal who I banged on the door and I said, in my broken Mandarin, my father died. I need help. Mm-hmm. And I, I pulled her arm and we went up to my house and she saw what was going on and she called for help. That was at nine o'clock in the morning. So it's a little island and he's the only Westerner basically on the island. So word like spread quickly. And so one of his friends who was his, a, a doctor as well came and then he started to do CPR. Now, mind you, by that time, we're like an hour into this yeah. and um, he's gone. Well, he wasn't technically all the way gone. What had happened is we went down the six flights of stairs and got him into an ambulance and we're in the back of this ambulance. So they're, they're doing CPR now and I'm praying in tongues and I'm like every, like everything I could hear was that conference I had gone to where Mahesh Shavada had talked about raising the dead along like the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within me, dwells within my father who is a born again believer. And I just began to take authority over the spirit of death and everything that I could do to take authority over it. And as I'm praying in the spirit, I physically see my father's spirit leave his body. And to be honest with you, Brian, it ticked me off. Mm. I was ticked. 
because I was like, oh, no, no, no. First of all, my dad and I had a policy that we would both leave because I had been told that one of us may not leave the island. When I got there, we prayed and I said, we both leave the island alive. We have a deal. I believe that you can ask God like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Let's have a conversation about what's happening here and so forth. His spirit left his body and I was mad. I was angry because I was like, no, we had a deal. You get back here. You know, (laughs) we're leaving this island together. That was our deal. So now in the hospital and my dad is dead, but my, my dad's friend was so persistent. I was doing green breaths and he was doing compression. And we kept going and going and going. There's no active heartbeat. And his body, like when people they start to like atrophy, like his hands balled up. And it was that yeah. it was it was a horrific thing to see. And I sat back because they said the government officials are here to see you. And I was like, oh no. They said the man said to me, well, but basically, of course, if you entered the country, blah, 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 you didn't report, oh, you're in trouble. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the beast of my problems right now. And he said, where do you want the body to be delivered? And in that moment, I screamed. Like I'm a very calm, level-headed person. Like I never lose my cool. Like if there's an emergency, I stay calm under pressure. It's after the, the emergency has passed yeah. that I have my meltdown. Right. I'm cool under pressure. But when he said, where do you want us to deliver the body? I let out a scream like I had never heard in my life. When I let out the scream, what I saw in my mind was the curtain on the day that Jesus died. And then so the curtain was torn. Yeah. In my mind, when I let out this primal scream, that's what I saw. Wow. And as I let out the scream, I heard beep, 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 and his heart started to beat again. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, here's the miraculous thing. Now, first of all, we had wrecked his body because when you do CPR, you break the rib cage and everything. My father had no brain damage. Mm. They put him on a bed as precautionary because we had broken all those rib cages and it hurt to breathe. But when he was able to write, he wrote in Chinese. So my dad spoke many languages and he wrote in Chinese. And I said, Dad, I can't understand Chinese. So then he wrote in Spanish. He's like, leave me alone. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you have a sense of humor, LOL. <laughs> and then he wrote, he's still, like, he was saying like, he's there. Like I said, are you, are you okay? Talk to me. And he's like, well, if I can converse with three languages on pen and paper to you, I'm fine. Yeah. Even though I have this tube down my throat. But it, that started a whole faith journey on trying to actually get him home and into the United States in the condition he was. Because while he was raised from the dead, he was not 100% whole at that point. Let me pause here, Shannon, just for a second. The officials come in. They're rebuking you for not checking in with them. And you let out this crazy primal scream. I'm curious, how did the officials respond to that? So I remember looking into the corner and there was a gal who was like like sweeping up like all of this medical stuff on the floor. And I let out the scream and the heartbeat started almost immediately. And everyone was like, now they're focused. Like they everyone like stopped yeah. like in slow motion and looked at the EKG monitor. Yeah. And like looked, and then all of a sudden their attention was on on the fact that he was alive. No doubt. Okay. I was just curious because mm-hmm. when something that dramatic happens, like you said, everyone's attention's off you now and it's on him. Right. What happened next? Oh, 
Well, I always tell people, if you're going to travel out of the country, make sure you have good evacuation insurance. Evacuating someone off a remote island in the South Pacific is a feat in and of itself and takes a lot of money, of which I did not have. I had just gone through a divorce, single mom. I had lost basically everything in my divorce, kind of rebuilding at that point. So we started a journey of me learning, number one, to be a caretaker, because where we were was kind of like a little outpost hospital. It was not a hospital in the sense that we think of hospital. Mm -hmm. So there you had to go buy your own medical equipment and provide it. You were basically the nursing staff. So I learned how to boil rice and, and feed him through a feeding tube. I mean, he still was pretty critically ill during this time. So I learned how to empty a dialysis machine, how to run an IV. Like I, I spent the next time period learning to care for him while trying to figure out how to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring him home. Wow. And one of the things, and, and there was a journey there, his wife, who was here in the United States at their home in the United States, who was a Chinese citizen, I called her and she had come back after you know about a week's time, she was able to get back. But basically, she took one look at him, told me he was, he was as good as dead, cleaned out the bank accounts and left. <laughs> and when she left, she took his passport, my passport with her just to be ornery. And so that was a journey of getting those official documents back so that we could prepare to leave from that standpoint. So I was able to successfully airlift him on New Year's Eve. So I missed Christmas with my little ones and things of that nature. And But on New Year's Eve, I was able to finally get the funds to pay the hospital bill and to send my father off. What had happened, just a short story here, is that as we were preparing, I hired a company called SOS International to help me coordinate the airlift off of the island to get us back into the United States. And they sent a cardiac doctor and a couple of cardiac nurses to actually escort us from, from the island on by commercial plane. I bought 28 commercial airline tickets on three different flights. We took out chairs on, on an airplane to get his stretcher onto airplanes to get him home. Unbelievable. Basically, I, I'm i like ultra platinum status on three different airlines from yeah. that standpoint. I had coordinated care and the government said that they would release him. But the problem was I was about $90,000 short, like $90,216 short, something like that. And so I was not permitted to leave the country because I owed the hospital. I had a safety deposit box. I had been saving some money. So I put like $6,000 into the safety deposit box. I had given my mother the key and I had a dream. And in the dream, I instructed my son, who um, was 14 at the time, to go to get a duffel bag. The Lord said, take a duffel bag to the safety deposit box and take all of the cash out of the safety deposit box. And so I said to my son, look, guys, I know there's only $6,000 there. I know I'm not going to have the $90,000 I need. I need you to go. The Lord said, take a duffel bag and go to the safety deposit box and take the money out of the safety deposit box. And I had bought them like the most, the smallest little safety deposit box you could get. And so it was just a little tiny box. So my mom and my son went to the bank and they you know, had the key. And so they let them in to go take the money out of the safety deposit box. And my son tells the story that when he reached his hand into the box, he just kept pulling money out. It's <laughs> as if, you know, the oil just kept pouring from the vessel. And so he said, Mom, I kept pulling money out. And then I'd reach my hand back in and more money would come out. And I'd reach my hand back in and more money would come out. And we basically filled that bag. And I go, excuse me? And he said, Mom, we're wiring the exact amount of money 
you need the $90,216 is on its way. And the bank rep was like, where did this money come from? Like you had this little tiny box. Where did all this money come from? And my, my son's like, I just came, came out of the box. Like, so they went and it was like this big ordeal. Like they went and looked at the box and like, was this really their money? And so I knew the money was coming on December 31st. Of course, you know, the money hadn't gotten there yet. And so I was literally at the banker's office asking him to hit refresh, like hit the refresh button, hit the refresh button, hit the refresh button. Like, is the money in the account, in the account I had opened there in China? Mm -hmm. Literally, he stayed after hours to keep hitting the refresh button. And at eight o'clock that night on China time, the money came through on on January 1st. And I was able to take that money in a duffel bag over to the hospital and pay my debt to the hospital. And right behind my dad leaving, I was released from the country and on a flight back to the United States. What an incredible experience. And how harrowing too. I mean, it wasn't like your dad, his heart started again and he jumped up and he said, give me some food to eat. I'm hungry. Yeah. No, not even. I mean, you you went through some very serious challenges in your own right, for sure. And just setting all this up, I mean, it's mind boggling what you went through. Why do you suppose in the midst of experiencing this monumental miracle and then the miracle of the money coming out of the safe deposit box, why do you suppose there was so much hardship intertwined with all of this, Shannon? What are your thoughts on that? A couple of things. First of all, I don't think the Lord ever tells us it's going to be a cakewalk. Like, he, he doesn't say it's going to be easy. And most things that are easy aren't worth really pursuing. You know, I used to have a paralyzing fear. Like, I was filled with fear um, at a point in my life where I couldn't go to the mailbox and open the mailbox. I couldn't listen to voicemail. I couldn't, I didn't even want to open my email. Like I had fear for no reason. Like it was a spirit of fear I had been gripped with for a number of years. And by going to China, my worst fears came true. I, I'm stuck in a foreign country. I can't communicate outside of the country. I have no money. My stepmother took all the money. And so basically there was days that I didn't even have food to eat, mm. but I had to have faith that medical supplies, like I would have find the funds for medical supplies. I would find the, I would find a place, something to eat that, that the Lord would provide a way to rescue us. Like everything that I feared in life happened in that span of those 40 days. My fear was not having enough money, fear of someone dying, being left alone, being abandoned. All I had during those 40 days was the voice of the Lord saying, get up. It's raining out. Get up. There is a papaya in the tree because this was a, a, a tropical island. There's a papaya in the tree and there's going to be snails on the ground. You have escargot this morning for breakfast. It was a walk of number one, really explained to me that true love casts out all fear. That if I have the voice of God and the love of God regardless of earthly experiences or what the earthly realm is presenting to me, mm-hmm. that there is a spiritual realm that is orchestrating everything for my good. And so that right there, number one, those 40 days, there's nothing I'm scared of, honestly. I mean, I fight the IRS for a living. There is nothing I'm scared of. I faced that. I faced so many different hardships when I was alone there on that island 
that there is nothing that you could say to me that you that would scare me. But here's the thing. Just like when I was sitting in that conference, listening to that gentleman talk about raising the dead, the Lord had a decade before prepared me to be in a place to, to facilitate someone raising from the dead. This whole journey in China, I know, was not in vain because I know that this impact that it had on my life will be a testimony to build the faith of someone else if they hear it today, it might not even be for you know, 10 or 20 years, but they will re, you know, remember the testimony. What happened after you got your father back to the States? So he went into a rehab facility. And unfortunately, we had him weaned off of life support. But on the way back, on because it was about a 30-hour journey to get him home because we had to go to mainland China and then transport by air ambulance and so forth. And they put him back on a ventilator. So he kind of had to start that whole weaning process again of getting off the ventilator, getting strength again. Yeah. Um, because unfortunately, I was just boiling rice and whatever I had to be able to feed him in a tube. He lost a lot of weight during those 40 days. And so he just was rebuilding his strength. But it was funny because well, I believe that there's life and death in our words. And my dad would say to me, like, he he always felt like he was going to die when he was 65. But he would say it out loud. And I'm always like, oh, be careful. There's life and death in your words. But we got him home. And unfortunately, in our healthcare system, there's not a lot of ventilator facilities. And so I had to put him into a rehab center that was almost two hours away from home. But I I took time off working remotely. My dad came home. He started getting really strong. He was able to reconcile with my two little brothers um, who were 20 and 22 years younger than I, I, I am. And he was able to reconcile with them, reconcile with, with some family members, kind of put his affairs in order. That was in January. About July, I had to tell him, hey, look, we ran out of insurance. We never discussed his wife divorcing him. We never discussed that she took the money. We never fought for it. But we came to a point where we were running on a medical insurance. And even though his heart damage was caused by Agent Orange, the Veterans Administration just was not easy to deal with. And in fact, basically, they, they told me on a call, if you had enough money to him from China, you have enough money to care for him. Wow. And so there were no beds in a VA center for him. And so we ran out of insurance. And in July of 2015, I went to him and said, look, hey, we're out of insurance. So that's okay. We're going to go into Medicaid. My father was very proud. And he said, I will die before I go on a government program. And 11 days later, he said to me, I made a promise to you to come off the island with you, but I'm tired and I really want to go to be with the Lord. And so I've been waiting for you to be ready for me to go to be with the Lord. Are you ready for me to be go to go to the Lord? And I thought, no, like you're my best friend. Like he was my biggest champion. And I was like, no, I'm not ready. And he said, well, you need to get ready because I'm going to be with the Lord. And 11 days later, I get a call. I was heading up to the rehab facility and they said, hey, we took your dad to the University of Michigan. He's unresponsive. And he had somehow gotten sepsis that went to the brain, like within a 25, like I was having coffee with him the day before and the next day, because he knew at the end of August of that, that he was transitioning to the Medicaid program. I honestly think he just was like, hey, everything's in order. Lord, I'm ready to go. And he was gone. Shannon, I'm just overwhelmed with all that you've walked through. And now God is using you in your practice. You have a tax practice. Explain what you do there, please. So I have a full service tax and financial planning firm. And 
We're a little bit different than a typical CPA practice. We are tax strategists. So I work with entrepreneurs who want to mitigate taxes legally or entrepreneurs who are getting ready to sell their businesses. We do tax planning to help reduce taxation for entrepreneurs and business owners. And then occasionally people get themselves in trouble with the IRS. And so we do representation work as well from that standpoint. What would be one of the greatest pieces of advice that you could give to somebody listening to this? I think number one is cultivating a lifestyle of listening. That's number one. We have so much noise that comes from the outside world. And I'm not saying don't listen to podcasting or or the, the news and so forth, but I just would be very careful of what you're feeding your brain and what noise, because it's just like we want to eat a healthy diet. That's not just the food we put into our body. It's also the things we put into our mind mm-hmm. and, all, and cultivating what we're listening to and cultivating a habit of listening and just being quiet and being still. But also, I would say that the things and trials that we go through are not in vain. And we may not necessarily see an immediate reason why we're walking out something. It might be revealed to us a decade later. But everything that we go through is orchestrated in such a way to bring us closer to the heart of God. I really believe that. And used for the glory of his kingdom. And that we're here to help build up and to love on other people and to be shining examples. And if we can go through trials and tribulations and with grace, that is a testimony in and of itself. Yeah. Or I think that's, I guess that's what I would impart. That's great. How can people find out more about you, Shannon? So I have two different mechanisms. My company is Advanced Accounting, and they can find me at advancedaccounting.com. Or they can find me at my personal website, which is shannonstewart.com and shannon, that's S-H-A-N-Y-N, stewart.com. Okay. As we finish here, Shannon, we'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Definitely. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and I just thank you that you are an awesome God. Father, right now, I just would ask that you would charge your mighty angels to stand guard around these listeners, that your angels would go before them and behind them, Lord God that they would protect them on the journey that you would have them on, Lord God. And that, Father God, that you, Lord, Holy Spirit, would just dwell in their life, that you would speak words of wisdom, Lord, to them, that you would speak words of love and encouragement to them, Lord God, and that you would meet each and every person that hears this podcast at their very point of need, Lord God, and that you would minister to them. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Shannon. Looking forward to having you back again sometime. Definitely. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.